2 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 18. Actually, if you've got a church Bible, can you shout out the page number for me? I don't have a copy of it up here. 1195. Thank you. 1195. We'll read that in a wee second. Uh, let me start by uh, telling you about a friend of mine. A friend of mine who is a, a, a Christian friend, but he's a doctor. And uh, he was in the staff room one lunchtime um, when another doctor walked in and said, well, you will never guess what, everybody. Angela has just been in to see me. She has told me that she's coming off her meds. She's turned over a new leaf. Guess why? She's found Jesus. Well, the staff room scoffed and my friend squirmed. He knew what was happening. Uh, people were speaking about Jesus and one of Jesus' followers on that occasion with derision, mockery. And he knew fine and well in that moment that he had a choice. Keep quiet and avoid the same or speak up and expose himself to the same derision and mockery. Put yourself in that situation. What would you do? What would you do? Keep quiet or speak up? I'm guessing that most of us would probably want to speak up, but would feel this overwhelming sense of reluctance to say a single thing. Mainly, I expect, because we're being self-protective, I think it's natural to avoid the nastiness that's been shown to other people, the kind of nastiness that's been shown to Angela, in this story. But my question tonight is, could it possibly be more than that? Is our unwillingness to speak up in a situation like that or any other situation where we need to speak up and mention the name of Jesus or speak up in association with somebody else who's speaking about the name of Jesus? Could it be more than we're just afraid? Could it be more than just, you know, I just don't feel like I'm that well equipped to answer whatever's going to be thrown at me here? Could it just be that we're ashamed? Could it be that we're way more sensitive to what people think about us than we realize that even the name of Jesus is an embarrassment to us? We're ashamed to associate with someone who's courageous enough to say they hope in Jesus. Ashamed to associate with Christ himself. What does God say to people in that kind of dilemma? Well, we find the answer in Paul's second letter to Timothy, a man who faces the same dilemma as my doctor friend. Timothy is the pastor of a church in Ephesus, and some people in Ephesus are ashamed of Paul and his teachings. Paul's imprisonment was an embarrassment to these folks. That's why they were ashamed of him. In their view, Paul's teaching was the very thing that landed him in this embarrassing situation. That's why they were embarrassed of it. So Timothy as the pastor in that church in Ephesus, is very much feeling the pressure. Some of his fellow leaders are deviating. 
Some of the members in the church of which he is the pastor are following. And he is under pressure. And the question is, is he going to be ashamed or not ashamed? And that's why Paul writes to him saying this. Look with me, verse 8 and following. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Amen. This is God's Word. Well, verse 8 is like a headline for this passage and a headline really for this sermon. Everything that follows is just an elaboration of the two main things that Paul wants to say to Timothy back then and to us uh, right here, right now. And uh, so you'll notice from your sermon guide that there are uh, two points uh, two points that make up our outline. And so what's the first thing that Paul says? Number one, he says to those who feel the potential to be ashamed of Paul or of those who speak of Jesus or of those who speak out for Jesus, he says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. And we're going to see this in verses 9, and 12, 9 to 12. There are two things basically in this passage that you can be ashamed of. The truth about Jesus or those who talk about Jesus. So it says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. So firstly, don't be ashamed of the truth about Jesus. Uh, the truth about Jesus, the testimony, if you like, in that verse, is really just the gospel or the deposit. Uh, that's it's, that's the, the same, these words refer to the same thing in this passage. But why not be ashamed of the truth about Jesus? Why not be ashamed of this gospel? Well, Paul gives us two very, very good reasons for this. Because he has saved you by this truth. That's the first thing, verses 9 and 10. God saved us, he said. He saved us, uh, verse 9, sorry, from our sins. He saved us 
from God's wrath. How? Well, by the same gospel that people are ashamed of in Ephesus. By the same name that we are sometimes embarrassed by, Jesus. Secondly, and more amazingly and still in Paul's mind, is that he saved us and it did not cost us a thing. We have been saved by grace. Verse 9 goes on. God saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Grace. He saved us despite our sin, despite our shame, despite our rebellion. He gave us salvation as a free gift. So determined was he to save wretches like us that he actually gave us this grace before time began. Verse 9c says he gave us it before the beginning of time. The appearing of our Savior Jesus is the very thing that brought it to light and exploded this truth into history in a way that would lead to shocks for throughout the ages. And after his death-destroying victory on the cross, he gives us the grace of life. Life now, renewed relationship with God and immortality. He removes completely the curse, death. That doesn't mean that we won't die, we will. But death, according to 1 Corinthians 15, has had its sting removed. Spurgeon says, death so remains among the believer, but stingless so. So much so that to the believer, it is not death to die. In the middle of a sermon like that, he calls out and addresses death. Death, you old lion. Why should I fear you? You are no more able to clamp me in your frightening jaws. No, you are an usher. Carrying me to the very gates of heaven. Gumless is that lion. Stingless is death. Life, now. Immortality, later. These are the incredible benefits of the gospel. That's how it comes to us. How? Paul says it through the gospel. So why are we sometimes embarrassed by it? So don't be ashamed of the truth about Jesus because he saved you by this truth, this glorious truth. And here's another reason why not. Back to verse 9, because he called you to live a holy life. When you're saved by the gospel, you're under new management. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, you, you no longer live for yourself but for him. You're also caught up in this movement of the gospel. The life that he calls you to live involves holding on to the truth of Jesus, but not just holding on to it for yourself, passing it on to others. And when you're saved by the gospel, a key aspect of living out this gospel life is that you're different. You're set apart to be different. Set apart from the world devoted to God. That's what holiness is. 
that means we don't expect to be like those who don't believe the gospel. In fact, we shouldn't want to. And that's the problem in Ephesus. They're looking for a more culturally acceptable Christianity, something that's a little bit more easier to swallow. That's why they're saying with false teaching, do you know this resurrection that Paul keeps talking about as something in the future and something physical? Well, it's not really that, they're saying. He, they're, they're bringing it into this life. They're saying the resurrection's much more of a spiritual thing. We're resurrected in our spirits, in our hearts. That way we don't need to suffer all the stuff that Paul's suffering. We can actually enjoy much more of the material blessings of this life. It sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel today. Don't be duped by it. It's wrong. Don't try and fashion the gospel out of a desire to have a much more respectable view in the world's eyes. Paul says, don't expect to be like those who don't believe the gospel. We shouldn't actually want to. This gospel should actually make you stick out like a sore thumb. And that's to be expected. And God has a good reason for doing that. It's what gets him noticed. Well, the first thing that Timothy says then that we shouldn't be ashamed of is the truth about Jesus. The second thing that we see from verses 11 to 12 is that we shouldn't be ashamed of those who talk about Jesus. And it's pretty plain to see why. I mean, they're the ones who are courageously doing what God expects of them. They're just being obedient. That's what Paul's saying he's been. Look at verse 11. Of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. See what he's doing? He's, he's removing all the confusion He's saying, all I've done is my duty. I'm an announcer. I'm a declarer. I'm an explainer of God's word. That's what he gave me to do. That's all I am. That's what I ha all I have been doing. And he said, if, you know, it's like he's saying, if people don't like the message, then the truth of the matter is sometimes they shoot the messenger. And Paul says, verse 12, that is why I'm suffering, just for doing my duty. That's the reason for it. I'm not suffering because I'm eccentric or mouthy. It's not that I'm really a, a difficult person to get along with. I'm suffering because people really don't like the gospel that I'm talking about. I'm suffering because people really don't like the gospel I dare to share. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that people don't like the gospel that we share? I think it's because for some it's hard to hear. Because the teaching of Jesus challenges the heart of every person who hears it. Everyone. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me strikes at the very heart of those whose life is all about self-gratification, pleasing themselves. No one comes to the Father except by me, says Jesus. 
That challenges the worldview of those who want to be advocates of an inclusiveness in society. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, says Jesus. That strikes at the very heart and intentions of people who want to redefine marriage and sex, God's gifts, by their own terms. You can understand why people rail against it. But if you believe the gospel, you're going to talk about the gospel. And if you talk about the gospel, Paul is basically saying you're going to suffer in some ways. But that shouldn't stop us, not in the slightest. He's saying this specifically to Timothy in ministry. Let's not forget the immediate context of this letter. Remember, he's writing to put some courage and steel in this minister who's not sure how to handle what's going on in the congregation with half his eldership deviating, some of the members following, turning their ears, having itchy ears for truth that's not like Paul's, but just something a bit more better, enticing, exciting, promising. And Paul says, listen, you're going to suffer loss or face dismissive criticism from those outside the church. That is just going to happen when you're in ministry. And you're going to suffer the foolishness of people inside the church who probably by a failure to understand or apprehend the truth for themselves or maybe even by a desire to change the truth will either attack you or just completely ignore your heartfelt loving appeals to them to stop don't go that direction. It's not going to end well. Heed the counsel. Go the other way. It's hard. Those are where the hardships of ministry are experienced. But it doesn't just apply to ministers. It applies to every single one of us because the New Testament tells us that we're all gospel ministers. It's just that one or two in each local church family are set apart to do it. But we're all gospel ministers. We'll all experience suffering of some kind. So you'll suffer quiet criticism or ostracism. You'll suffer from betrayal, uh, from what people will say about you behind your back. Not so long ago, we had a friend join us for a service uh, by her own willingness, she came and was happy to be here. But there was back chat in my community. Chatter behind the scenes. See, the Christians have got hold of such and such. It's hard to hear. Paul says, you're going to suffer quiet criticism you're going to suffer from betrayal very occasionally. In our country anyway, you're going to suffer an angry outburst from someone. But most often, you'll suffer the absolute heartache of seeing people reject the gospel you share. And there'll be people you love. People you're connecting with. People you relate to. People that you're desperate to hear it and understand it. It's desperately hard. It's suffering. Verse 12, that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet, he says, 
yet I am not ashamed. For this suffering, for, for doing my duty, he's saying, is no cause for shame. Why not? Verse 12, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Now notice this. So he's saying, don't be ashamed of those who talk about Jesus because they're unashamedly loving Jesus. And notice what he says. He doesn't say, I'm not ashamed because I know what I believe. No, he says, I know him I believe in. I know him personally and I love him. I trust him. I am supremely confident in everything that he says, in every explanation of what to expect in this life, and every expectation of what's to come in the next. Paul says the thing that puts steel and courage in us when we are tempted to feel ashamed is remembering the gospel and remembering that we know the Savior of whom this gospel is about. Do you know him like that? Do you know Jesus personally? Do you know who he is in his character? Have you experienced his love? Have you been on the receiving end of his kindness and his grace? Have you just burst out in thanksgiving for who he is and all that he has done despite who you are and what you continue to do? Have you opened up his word and found yourself being familiar with his character, loving what you read. I know him personally, and I love him. And the thing that makes me not ashamed, says Paul, is I know him. I'm not ashamed. So how can we know him to be the person he is? knowing what he's done for us, despite the people we were, how can we be ashamed of him? How can we be embarrassed by his name or by his teaching? You ever find that, that you're actually engaging with people and you're quite happy for them to know that you go along to church and so on, but actually talking about something that ramps up the intensity of the conversation, you know, some of those tricky things that the Bible talks about? Hell. Creation. Sexuality. Men and women. Man alive. We create a little bit, don't we? I do. But when we get to talking and even mentioning the name Jesus, have you ever found yourself embarrassed to say the name Jesus to people? I have. And it reveals shame. But we have nothing to be ashamed of, knowing what we know, knowing whom we know. I just think it's a really funny thing and a really frustrating thing to be so embarrassed sometimes about something that to us just made sense of all existence and to us just became the greatest thing we had ever, ever heard. Why is it our natural tendency one of embarrassment and fear rather than joy and courage? 
I mean, could it be that we're a little more sensitive to what people think of us than we realize? Could it be that we prefer this more respectable, even appreciated version of Christianity? We want the world to accept us. We want to avoid suffering. We don't want them to reject us and throw us in prison. So we dumb things down and say nice things, and all the while, nobody's getting saved. Because we're diluting the very thing they need to hear. How far is that getting us? How faithful are we being? I mean, if we do this, we're making the same mistakes as those false teachers. And like Timothy, we have a choice. Be ashamed of Jesus and give people this watered-down Jesus. Or, verse 8, we join in suffering for the gospel. What does Paul say? And this is point two. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Verses 13 and 14. Okay, but how? What does this exactly mean, Paul? Spell it out. I mean, do we need to get ourselves thrown in prison? No, he's not saying that. It's actually very simple. He, he says in verses 13 and 14 that suffering for the gospel quite simply involves doing two things. First of all, teaching the gospel. Now, I'm not going to spend long on this at all because Paul elaborates on this in the rest of the letter. But suffice to say, if we look at verse 13 where Paul says, what you heard from me... Keep us the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. The pattern he talks about. Just keep it. In other words, follow the outline. So whether you're doing dot to dot with kids or, I don't know, knitting a jumper. Never done that. Follow the pattern, I'm told, and you'll make what you're supposed to make. Same goes for the gospel. Just follow the pattern, Timothy. What you've received from me, pass it on. Follow the pattern, Timothy. Do as I've done, teach what I've taught you, and you'll make what you're supposed to make. Disciples. Suffering then comes from those who want to deviate from that pattern. But Paul says, no, 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 keep to it. Not in an obtuse, mouthy, arrogant way, but specifically, he says, with faith and love. with faith and love in Christ Jesus, with confidence in what you're talking about, confidence in the truth of the subject you're going to speak about, and, of course, with humility, with love, and with great mercy to those even who want to punch you in the teeth. Even if people mock you as bigoted, Traditional, archaic, brainwashed, weird, nuts. Keep to it the pattern with faith, confidence, and love. Love them. It's not your pattern to change. It's his, actually, as Paul says in this passage, and Jesus reserves, actually, his harshest judgment for those who play fast and loose with this gospel. May God have mercy on those ministers, churches, and church members throughout our nation and wherever they are who are playing fast and loose with it, diluting it down to make themselves culturally acceptable. 
is horrendous. May God have mercy on them and may we be bold enough and loving enough to speak into those situations when we have opportunity. But even if it means we have to suffer for passing on the pattern, we'll do it and not shrink back from it. Join with me in suffering for the gospel, Paul says, simply by teaching it. I should say, by the way, that there are tons of times when people receive it gladly. It's not just that people are going to receive it badly. How many times have we been fearful about sharing the gospel with someone, thinking, oh, I wonder how they're going to react to this, and so on, oh, they're going to, I'm going to lose this friendship, etc., etc. And then all of a sudden we say, yeah, would you like to come to church and hear about Jesus? And they're like, yeah, I'd love to. Happens all the time. Don't let fear cripple you and your evangelism. Jesus told his disciples on the night before he went to his death that he was going to send a helper, an advocate, who was at work in them to help them speak and at work in the world to convict the world of sin, to show it what righteousness is. He's at work even before we open our mouths. So Paul says, suffer with me simply by teaching the gospel and secondly by guarding the gospel. So don't just teach it formatively and positively. He says, protect it, defend it. So Paul talks about this gospel like it's something to look after. And that's what we expect someone to do with a deposit, really, isn't it? You know, a first payment of a greater payment to come, you've got to look after that. And Paul says, well, that's what the, the gospel is. It's like a deposit. And if you don't look after it, you're going to have to give an account for your mismanagement. But Paul says here, join with me in suffering for the gospel by guarding it. Don't put yourself in the line of fire for this truth so that, so that, well, you prove your faithfulness, of course. And you preserve the opportunity for others to know salvation because no one's saved by this false gospel, so defend it. Know it. Speak up when people are attacking it. Often we feel that there's an onus of responsibility on us as Christians to give a reason for why we believe what we believe, and that's true, but people also have to do that for what they believe. So we defend the Bible by encouraging them to read it. We encourage the Bible by saying, can I actually walk through that with you? Because I don't think you quite understand that. And then do it. And let them see its reliability, its truthfulness, its cohesiveness. It's sense. Now, if all this teaching and guarding of the gospel sounds quite hard to us, we need to remember that God never leaves us to do anything on our own strength, anything on our own merit. No, he says, Paul says here, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Or as he said in uh, verse 8, join with me in suffering by the power of God. And once again, we see God helps us to do hard things by supplying the power and strength we need to do it. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, um, I want to say sorry for all the times that your friends or me um, have ever been too ashamed to talk about Jesus. It actually is the most loving thing that we can possibly do to talk to you about Jesus 
Um, it's like when you found, if you like, a cure for some horrendous illness, for cancer, and then you withhold it. Okay? Sometimes we are ashamedly embarrassed, and actually we, are, we love you so much that we're worried about losing you, because this is the costliness of believing what we believe. So, please forgive us for that, but please can I encourage you later on, or at some point this week, to ask your friend to explain it to you. Just give him the chance to explain it to you once. To talk specifically about who Jesus is, his coming from heaven, his living, his holy life, sinless, perfect, his dying, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead three days later, where he is now in heaven and where he'll be soon, back here, he's returning to bring that immortality to bear. It's nuts in some ways, but it's true in every way. It took me 19 years of my life for, it took 19 years of my life for somebody to come and tell me this. I pray you won't have to wait that long. Hear this gospel, believe this gospel, and join us in suffering for the gospel. What about our Christian friends, brothers and sisters? Where are you right now? Ashamed or not ashamed? Reluctant to suffer for the gospel or ready to suffer for the gospel by the power of God? What will we resolve to be when we're tempted to be embarrassed by some of the teachings that we find in the Bible that are hard to talk about with our friends, when we view the beautiful name of Jesus as something to be ashamed of, when this phenomenal truth of the gospel is something we're reluctant to talk about, will we be ashamed or not ashamed? That's the choice we all face, and that's how this passage ends. The choice we all face in verses 15 to 18 is basically, from Paul, an illustration. And Paul talks about three guys, Phygelus, Hermogenes, and Onesiphorus. Phygelus and Hermogenes have deserted Paul. They're compared and contrasted with Onesiphorus, who, as Paul explains in this passage, was not ashamed to search for and associate with Paul, even though it would have meant being tarred by the same brush and potentially facing the same fate, death. No, he is willing to associate with him. Now, what's Paul doing here? He's presenting Timothy with a choice. Are you a Phygelus or a Homogenes, or are you an Onesiphorus? Are you going to be ashamed, or are you going to be not ashamed? And that's the choice we all face when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ and speaking out for him. What will you choose? Think back to my doctor friend, remember? The staff room scoffed. My friend squirmed. He said, the words of Jesus were ringing in my ears. Mark 8, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. So what did my friend do? He interrupted the hilarity and said, and I quote, 
All of us doctors have tried unsuccessfully for years to help poor Angela. And if Jesus has caused this amazing transformation in her, then I know a few more of our patients and colleagues who could perhaps benefit from his help. not ashamed. He's too wonderful. It's too true. They're too lost. Let's pray. In fact, no, we're not going to pray. We're going to respond. We will pray. Can I have the next slide, please, David? Let's have a think about how we're going to respond to this. We might be in different situations here. I hope you can read that. Let me talk it out. Maybe you want to think of areas where you have been or could be tempted to be ashamed of Jesus. Ask God to help you be ashamedly courageous in these next couple of minutes in your faith. Or you might meditate on the gospel using, ah, oh, I forgot to put the passage up. Never mind. Romans 5. Read Romans 5. There's your passage, okay? Um, meditate on the gospel using Romans 5 and ask God to help you grow in love and knowledge and conviction. Uh, See, some across the world face a far more threatening form of persecution, displacement, prison, death. Pray for persecuted brothers and sisters across the world. Maybe you'll spend the next few minutes doing that. Or maybe you could spend time asking God to help us as a church keep the teaching of the gospel at the heart of church life that we together, we're never on our own, that we together would guard it well. And if you're not a Christian, think over what's been said tonight. Think about what you agree with, maybe what you'd like to find out more about. Let's spend the next couple of minutes just in quietness with our heads bowed, praying personally, and I'll bring our time to a close in a couple of minutes.